This week on Unsportsmanlike Conduct, we will be talking about Michigan and their game against Air Force, what needs to improve on their offense moving forward. We will also preview Michigan State in a game that could be really big for their program here against Notre Dame. Then we will move into the pros where, well, I was wrong again and my partners were right, but the Lions on Monday night they ended up getting the win. We'll break that down and move on to next week for them. We'll also talk about Justin Verlander. He is going to the playoffs of the Houston Astros. How should we feel about that as Tigers fans in Michigan and more here on Unsportsmanlike Conduct? And hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, the pro sports show where we talk and you listen. My name is Andrew McDonald, and with me are my two co-hosts, as always. To my left is Elena Hess. Elena, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good, good. And Evan? I'm doing good. I got that Lions pick right, so uh, I'm still pretty excited about that. Uh, but yeah, doing good. Yeah, you can keep rubbing that in if you want, <laughs> but at some point I'll probably get over it um, one way or another. Plus, my fantasy team's very iffy right now, so the NFL just hasn't been giving me what I really want lately. But <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, although I don't mind seeing the Lions win, so it is what it is. But um, yeah, so we got a packed show for you here today. We will be talking about Michigan once again, like I said, and then you know talk about Michigan State both. We'll start with Michigan first. Um, the Wolverines, they uh, they had a, another not so great performance, I guess. I, I don't really know what to say. I guess underwhelming would be a good word. Um, they started really slow against Air Force, and it, it just didn't really look like they knew what they were doing in the first half offensively. Again, Wilton Spade kind of struggled. Um, it was a three-three tie after the first quarter, and it was only nine to six going into halftime. Um, after halftime, Donovan Peoples-Jones obviously had the big moment of his career so far at Michigan. Returned that uh, punt return for a touchdown. I believe it was 79 yards, and that is how long it was. 79-yard touchdown return. Um, that was huge. Gave Michigan a 16-6 lead. And then, like, quickly right after that, Air Force struck right back, got a touchdown. Their only completed pass of the day went for 64 yards for a touchdown. Um, it was Worthman to Cleveland for that touchdown. And then it was a 13-6 game, so it got pretty close. Or, uh, 16 to 13 game, pardon me, um, for the score. And then after that, um, Michigan was able to kick enough field goals from Quinn Nordine to be able to kind of pull away. Uh, Air Force missed a big field goal towards the end of the game that would have made it closer. And then Cron uh, Higgins scored the eventual like blowout touchdown to make it look like it was a little bit bigger of a win for Michigan. But it really wasn't indicative of the score once again. They struggled two straight weeks on opponents that we thought they'd probably beat by a lot more. Um, I, I I projected it to be within 20 points still, but I expected Michigan's offense to do better and score more points. They didn't do so. Um, so, Evan, I'll start with you. Uh, I guess just overall, what can you say about this Michigan offense right now? What's going on? Well, I'm just really tired of seeing Wilton Spate struggle in-game. And then his stat line, like, look not too bad. Like, he doesn't throw picks. He doesn't throw touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fumbles and then jumps back on top of it. But, I mean, his stat line, 14 for 23, 169 yards. Like, that doesn't sound awful does it it's it's just like it's more or less dry it's like mediocre exactly exactly and it's, it's really nothing bad it. enough to to get you benched it's nothing bad enough to get you benched yeah. that, that's the thing i mean if he goes out there and does what he's been doing i mean he'll continue to be uh, the starting quarterback for michigan but i mean looking down down the rest of the offense like you said cron higdon 12 carries 64 yards and a touchdown i think he's almost taken over that second running back spot over chris evans who uh if i'm mistaken he fumbled early yeah and uh and ty isaac cobbled off there after uh going for 16 carries and 89 yards but um apparently harbaugh said he's gonna be okay he'll yeah. be back so that's good but I mean, one guy that's not gonna be all right and that's not gonna be back is uh tariq black who's out from the season with a broken ankle uh, and that's gonna be a big hit for michigan yeah losing that starts your receiving core definitely is going to make it any easier for someone that's or a receiving core and quarterback combination that's already struggled this season so far Elena, what did you see out of Michigan's offense, I guess, first? I agree with you guys. Like, it's not enough to take Wilton Spade out of the game because, like, who else would we put in? Mm-hmm. 
But like, if we didn't have if we didn't have Quinn Nordine, like, what would we do? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like five field goals right. in one game, like that's crazy. And yeah. for a freshman to be doing that, like consistency is great. Yeah, on so. a big stage, Quinn Nordine able to hit that many field goals. Um, it's it's giant. Uh, he's been able to keep Michigan in games this year. Harbaugh spent the night at his house, keeps looking better and better and better, <laughs> even as crazy as it was, because, wow, if they didn't have him. Uh, we were talking for the show, like you said, last year they, they would have probably struggled with some of this kind of stuff um, early in the season um, with their with their kicker. And this year Nordine's been able to step in and take the job. And it's really like the first recruited kicker I could think that Michigan's had ever <laughs> that's been <laughs> recruited this high, and he's been able to do the job for them. So that's huge. Um, it I think that special teams did a, a really good job in this game. I think that that play for – Diamond Peoples Jones was like huge and able to like give him some confidence moving forward, and he's going to need it now. Um, they have Purdue coming in next week, and Purdue just blew out Missouri. They beat him thirty-five to three. I know Missouri's had a lot of problems. They fired their defensive coordinator, so that you know kind of the, there's issues going on there. But nevertheless, when Purdue can walk into your building and blow you out, that's saying something. Um, their their new coach has been able to kind of get him going here and looking better. Um, Lane, I'll start with you. What do you expect from Michigan this upcoming week? Well, I'm hoping to see some better offense. Uh, it's kind of sad when your offense only scores one touchdown. It's the last minute of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we see something from Spate. Uh, I think the defense is going to be great again. I think they can even get better. Um, I guess it'll be a test for them. For sure. And on the road, it's their first two road games. So that's yep. definitely true, bringing that up, that it's going to be a test. Really big. Michigan's defense did overall look pretty good again. Last week, um, they obviously improvements can be made, but not many. They they need to just kind of stay where they're at right now, and they even keep a mission in games. I think they're even better if missions offense can open up. Evan, what do you expect to see this week? I could see defense step up yet again. Um, offense, we'll see. Hopefully, they get they get the ball rolling a little bit, but uh, we're gonna see a lot of field goals from Quinn Nordine. Uh, Michigan's gonna see, you know, a lot of defense, 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 defense. That's what that's what they preach. That's that's Don Brown's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know how big of a deal defense is to to Michigan. That's something that I mean, you you look back to when they had Rich Rod and Brady Hoke. I mean, they didn't they didn't really care that much about defense. Right. They, they I mean they what didn't emphasize it. it exactly, was... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I mean, you, you almost think about if they didn't emphasize defense as much now. Let's say that Brady Hoke or Rich Rod they were still here. I mean, you got to think about these <laughs> first three games, right? <laughs> Just think about that. Off in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and I and I, I can't I can't say those two names much more, or else people will start uh, hating on me a little bit. But <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think Michigan's going to get the job done here uh, against Purdue. But I definitely think that this is a game that kind of has me uh, on the edge of my seat uh, coming into things. I think one name that we haven't brought up yet that we really need to bring up is Tim Dreveno. He needs to make changes in the play calling for their off, their offense. I think that it's been so vanilla this year. And, and one thing I actually talked about in a podcast I did with uh, Mason Brewer earlier this week, we talked about kind of like their play calls inside the red zone. And obviously, Michigan's only scored one touchdown in their past 10 trips in the red zone. So that is a stat that you simply can't have when you get into Big Ten play. Um Last year with Khalid Hill, he was a guy that they used all the time. And so, why? Are, I think the most frustrating play for me was when Michigan had the ball. I think it was a third and goal, and it was around the seven or eight yard line. They did a handoff, like a designed run handoff, and the blitz was clearly coming. Spade probably should have audible out of it, but he didn't. They handed it off at the middle, and it went for nothing. And then Michigan ended up having to kick a field goal again. I mean, the crowd started to boo a little bit. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can tell the crowd is trying to stay away from that after all the Michigan players' comments from you know, kind of trying to respect that. But nevertheless, that's the kind of play call. It's like, what happened to using Wilton Spade's legs? I mean, if you don't start to use the guy or give him more confidence, because at some points I don't think that they use him enough or they even try to give him enough opportunities inside the 10-yard line. They used to roll him out, and if it was Khalid Hill or Jake Butt or whoever it was, Michigan has five tight ends in this team. One of them can catch a ball. 
Roll a tight end out with him. Roll him out. Use his legs. I think that gives you more options. And last year was a successful play that Michigan ran a lot. Man, I I really miss Jake Butt. It, it really <laughs> makes me miss Jake Butt because he does open up. The, he did open up the field a lot for Michigan. Yeah. But I get what you're saying though. I mean, why not just let him roll out and survey his options? And if not, yeah. go ahead and run it in. Exactly. Talk it and run because he's still. I mean, he's not exactly a speedster, but he he is elusive. Somehow with that big body, he's, he's elusive. He's a big he enough guy. He's a big enough guy where he can take that hit. And, yeah, exactly. And, and get in, get inside, get to the goal line. If you're gonna hand it off into the ten yard line, I I really see Khalid Hill get the ball three times in a row. Then A Michigan's running backs running into nobody on the right side, the left side. Michigan needs to keep running the left side because their offensive uh, offensive line on the right side until someone watches film and fixes it. They're mm-hmm. not getting any yards and they go over there. Yeah, no, not not at all. I, I don't know. I mean, where Clint Hill's been? I mean, I don't even know his stat line. I haven't seen much out Barely of him. Anything. I mean, he was a monster last year for Michigan, and now I, I I haven't even seen him on the field. Like it hasn't really been noticeable to me that he's even out on the field because they're just not utilizing him no. in the right situations. That is. And the one stat line that sticks out to me the most is that for Michigan's tight ends, they have eleven catches total in the year. Uh, Tariq Black, obviously, before he got hurt, had 11 catches himself on the season. So that's yeah. just like, that's bad coaching to me. And Harbaugh, I think, is part of it too. He needs to step up and say something. What do you think Michigan needs to do to improve to score inside the red zone, Elena? Gosh, I don't, I agree <laughs> with you guys. Like, it's just ridiculous. It needs to change for sure. There, there's a lot there that needs to change. I think we can all agree on that. It's just, it hasn't been good for Michigan in there. And if they do that inside the Big Ten, they get to it, especially opponent like a Penn State who's blowing out over the play. Granted, it's a bunch of nobodies, but they're still blowing them out. Um, McSorley and Barkley in that backfield, they have a great combination. Michigan's going to run into a lot of trouble there because their defense can be on the field too much against a powerful offense if they don't start to score more points. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I'm really interested to see when Purdue comes uh you know, comes play Michigan, and, and, and you know, you got David Bly as quarterback for Purdue, 51 for 67, 597 yards, six touchdowns, two picks. I mean, they like to throw the ball all over the field. So It's a better stat line than Spate. So yeah. <laughs> not, not by too much, as crazy as it is with the yardage, but no, just but, overall it is. But overall, yeah, and, and that's one thing. I mean, you look at, like, at Michigan's defensive backs, they're young. Mm-hmm. Michigan's defense is just young in general. And this is really the first team that's going to throw the ball all over Michigan. They're yeah. not they're not going to run it that much. They're going to they're going to throw the ball. And I'm really interested to see how, you know, these young defensive backs are tested in this one. It, it'll be interesting to watch. For sure. All right, so I guess we'll end it with the score prediction on Michigan. Elena, I'll start with you. What do you think uh the scores this week and why? Okay, I want to go 21 to 10 in favor of Michigan. <laughs> okay. Michigan. <laughs> um I mean, I just I'm just not I want to go low scoring because I mean, I haven't really had any confidence in the offense so hopefully i'm wrong but i mean if they win it's a win you know for sure I think and that, the defense is gonna lock down though that, that and that's how it's been all year and this similar team where i think that that kind of thing could happen where the defense runs the game and michigan's able to still win even if their offense isn't there but gosh you would like if you're a michigan fan to see strides from the offense this week but uh evan what do you think yeah as far as my prediction goes i'm gonna go michigan 16 10 i'm gonna go three nordine field goals and Ty Isaac touchdown. For sure. Nothing nothing mm-hmm. special from Spate. Okay, okay. And he's still thinking they're <laughs> going to struggle there. Um, I I want to say that I'm going to see Wilton Spate step up this week, but I truly just don't know right now because last year he was a different quarterback to start the season. For the first eight, nine games, he was a guy that looked like, a lot like Jake Rudock back in 2015. He was a guy that was getting better week by week, and then he just struggled towards the end of the season. Um, I think this is the week. I think this is the week that he finally at least gets a couple touchdown passes. Um, I think that Michigan kind of shows something here against Purdue this week. Um, I think that their defense obviously holds them in check and Purdue's kind of exposed to not be some Big Ten power. Um, but it is a game that easily I could be wrong about as well. On the road with all these guys for the first time, losing Tariq Black does not make it any easier. I expect to see guys like Eddie McDoom and Grant Perry get even more action. 
Um, but I, I, for a final score prediction, I would say that I think Michigan wins this game around 24-10. to 10. I think that they score a late touchdown to kind of give them a little bit more of a window. But it's definitely going to be a close game, I think, at least through three quarters because at this point when it's with Air Force and Cincinnati through three quarters, there's no reason <laughs> Purdue can't make it that way, especially in their own house. It's homecoming for Purdue. This is one of the biggest games that they've played in a while. So it'll be a big one. And speaking of big games, so we'll transition into next here. We'll go with Michigan State. Um, they had a bye week this week. So they're off, able to pre- or prepare for Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame went out and took on Boston College this week. Uh, someone the Chippewas will be taking on here in a couple of weeks, so mm-hmm. I'll be covering that team. We'll see how they are. Um, but it was kind of a close game for a while, and then at the end, once again, Notre Dame was able to just kind of run away with it against a team that they probably should have been. Um, their quarterback, his name's slipping me right now. I don't know why I can't think of it, but he's been playing absolutely unbelievable. He's been able to keep them in a lot of games um, and kind of win it for them straight up. Michigan State has been able to rely on their defense a lot so far this season and, and not as bad a play from their quarterbacks um, so far. So I guess what do you guys expect to see out of Michigan State this week in a game that really means a lot to them and Mark D'Antonio? Because, I mean, both these coaches, if, if they don't have a good season, they're both looking at the hot seat at the end of the year like heavy for you know losing their job. So, Evan, I'll start with you. Yeah, so Michigan State 2-0 wins over Bowling Green in Western Michigan. Like you mentioned in that bye week, um, Notre Dame – they're 2-1 with wins over Temple and Boston College and a one-point loss to Georgia. I, I think coming into this one, I mean, both these teams are looking to make a statement. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame hung with Georgia. That's cool and all, but yeah. I mean, they're, looking, they're looking for a, a win that can kind of keep the ball rolling here. They need a win, not, they, a, not a hang around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and looking at Notre Dame, I mean, they got Miami, Ohio after Michigan State, and then they have North Carolina, and then they jump right into USC. So, I mean, those are, these, are, these are three uh, games coming up for them that, I mean, yeah, they, they should win. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least I, I would, I believe. But I mean, you gotta get the job done. I think it all starts with Michigan State. We we've talked a lot um, in the past weeks just about momentum in general and how important that is in sports and how important that is in college football, especially when you got young kids just just playing a game, right? They're just having fun playing. And, exactly. And, and you got to keep momentum going. You have to keep spirits high in the locker room. So I think it's good for it's gonna be a big game for both Michigan and Notre Dame to really just kind of try to keep things going and uh, and keep the ball rolling towards a. Uh, Hopefully, a positive season for both teams. For sure. And Elena, what do you think? Um, I think State? I think both of these teams are pretty good at running the ball. So, mm-hmm. but That's I think State, in, at least in the past two games, uh, State has been pretty good at stopping the other teams' running play. So, hopefully, maybe they can stop Notre Dame's. Uh, um, but State's always aggressive. So, no matter what, I mean, even when they weren't very good last year, yeah, I mean, exactly. they, they had some moments where they were still pretty aggressive. So. I think they'll come out with a win, though. The 3-9 finish obviously wasn't good for them yeah. last year, and, and that's what I'm alluding to this year. This is the first real game they've had. I mean, the Western Michigan game, we all thought they were going to lose a couple of weeks ago, but mm-hmm. they, they got the job done, they won, um, and Western Michigan's offense was nowhere to be found in that game. So this is really that first game. I mean, this is this is any slancing, and it's just it's there's obviously been a history between these two teams. They play against each other in the past. Actually, last year, Michigan State did beat Notre Dame. In Notre Dame's uh, stadium, they went out and beat them. Um, so the, it's a team that they've had success against in the past, this is the kind of game that they need to win for people to start taking Mark D'Antonio on this team serious again. Because right now, it's a team that has been able to hold teams in check and they've been able to do enough like against the teams they're supposed to beat that people kind of wonder, like, is Michigan State really going to be that like good enough this year to maybe compete for something? Or are they a team that's still just going to maybe get to six wins and make a bowl game? And I think that this game will tell us a lot about what they're going to be in the weeks moving forward because the schedule isn't getting any easier for him after this. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. One guy that, that's really impressed me with Michigan State is Brian Lewerke, mm-hmm. uh, the quarterback over there in East Lansing. 35 for 54, 411 yards passing, four touchdowns, one interception, 17 carries, 150 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, that, that's pretty good for a guy who 
came in with a lot of question marks. I mean, I know your first two opponents were Bowling Green and Western Michigan, but I mean, like you said, this is going to be a test for the team, but I mean, also just for Lewerke, just to see where he's kind of at. I mean, you remember, you know, quarterbacks coming in through Michigan State, and they've always, they always, you know, used to produce pretty good quarterbacks, and this is kind of one of the situations where we get to figure out, like, is Lewerke going to be one of those guys? Like, is he going to be one of those guys that that can produce for them the rest of the season and, and into the future career that that he has, you know. So it'll be interesting to watch and see how how he deals with the Notre Dame defense, which I mean isn't isn't really that bad. They're they're a decent defense. Yeah. I put them about average as far as you know. They play good against Georgia, and that's a ranked yeah. team. So so I mean we'll see how things go. I think L.J. Scott's gonna have to step step up a little bit, kind of create a little bit more room for the work he can do his own work with his feet, but. We'll see. It'll be an interesting game, and we'll find out a lot just about both teams in general. Yeah, and Lewerke being good is definitely better for this team. They didn't have a quarterback last year, and that's why they struggled a lot. But it all starts a lot with L.J. Scott, too, in that offensive line. They need to be able to move the ball against Notre Dame on the ground, too. To be able, I think they need to put together long drives and keep that Notre Dame offense off the field because that's where Notre Dame makes their money is when they can run on the, on the field and get those quick scores. Um, a player like L.J. Scott, the last, time, the last game that he played in, he had 18 carries and 92 yards against uh, Western Michigan. He had a touchdown as well. He's just picking up where he left off. He's a great running back. I think he's going to be good in the future. Um, so alluding to what you said, Lena, I think that the, the rushing game will be very big for Michigan State in this game. Um, just overall, what what do you guys think a win like this does? Is this kind of start to put people back in the bandwagon for Mark Antonio to not be questioned as the head coach anymore, or does he need more after this? I'll start with you, Elena. I still think he needs more. This isn't going to do it for him, I don't think. But I think it'll, it'll definitely help. If he loses this game, I think it's going to hurt him a lot. Exactly. But, yeah, he needs this one for sure, but it's not going to. I don't I, think. Not, I, he needs more. Personally, I agree with that. I think that th- this is exactly where Michigan State, even if they get this win, it, it, it hurts him a lot if he loses, but he still doesn't gain enough if he wins. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like it, if you like, do good on a test, it doesn't bring your test score up that great. And, you fa- <laughs> but if you fail it, then it drafts it super Oh, we've been there. We've all been there. <laughs> I think, I think every single one of us in this room <laughs> has been there at some point. <laughs> I, I'm not some scholar, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. But no, I mean, I mean, looking ahead, though, I mean, they got Iowa and then Michigan. Uh, after Notre Dame, so I mean, you mentioned he needs more. I mean, if if Michigan State wins this game, I mean, they still got you know two more big games coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you I know when they when they Michigan. you know when, <laughs> when they go to the big house to play play Michigan. I mean, I I don't know. They're gonna have to keep things rolling. They're gonna have to you know keep that momentum if they can you know kind of start to to keep it going against Notre Dame. We'll see. But like you said, I agree with both of you guys. Like he definitely needs a a little bit more. Michigan State needs a little bit more to, to kind of keep his whole you know job talk kind of. Put that aside. They, mm-hmm. they need more. Well, and it seems more and more like that Michigan game is going to be a night game when they do come to Michigan and play. So this is the kind of game that, like, if they can win a game like this at night in their own stadium against Notre Dame, it gives the players a lot of confidence. It gives the fans more confidence. And it's going to make that Michigan and Michigan State game a lot bigger. If they mm-hmm. lose a game like this and Michigan starts to play a little bit better, because we, we don't know if they're going to play right now yeah, with the way right. their offense is going, but they start to play a little bit better, that game will probably still be heavily favored as, as a Michigan winning this is the kind of game where they just really need their confidence, and they definitely can't overlook Iowa either because Iowa's a team that's looked like I mean decent at times this year. Sure, they were losing a halftime this past week, um, but they were able to turn around the second half, score 21 unanswered points, and win that game. So overall, I, I think that this is a very important game for Michigan State. I, I don't think either that it does like save Mark D'Antonio. It doesn't, it doesn't give the fans enough yet, but as much as he's already given them, I mean, what what their coach in recent history has given uh, Michigan State fans what Mark D'Antonio has been able to give him. He's done a terrific job since he's been there. But if you go 3-9 and nine and then you have another bad season like that this year, it doesn't matter. It's it's about what you do for me now, not about what you did for me mm-hmm. in the past. That's the way that sports work. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a huge game for him to win to at least get on the right track, but he definitely will lose more if he loses this game. 
Um, and speaking of losers, I'm one of those this week uh, with my pick so far against the Lions. I feel like an idiot. Um, we'll talk about them right now. Uh, they play against the Giants on Monday night, and they shocked me. I mean, I, I don't know if the Giants just aren't that good. I don't know if their team is still trying to free themselves out. Regardless, they do have one of the better defenses in the league, and Matt Stafford was able to do the job against them. Uh, he, he did good enough at least to be able to give him the win. Obviously, the big punt return, that was huge for um, them as well to be able to pull away in that game kind of and get the 24 points to be able to win the game. 24-10 was the final. Um, Eli Manning didn't really look like himself out there. Brandon Marshall was dropping a lot of passes. I'm not sure if OBJ was fully healthy or not, but he was kind of getting in one of those attitudes towards the second half of the game where if it's not going his way, then he doesn't uh, play to his full abilities, and, that, and that's something that always hurts him. So, um, yeah, it was another another – Good game for the Lions, though. I said if they beat a team like this, that it would prove a lot to me and that they could be better, even though New York is 0-2 now. The Lions are going to be a team that could win games this year. Um, so, Elena, I'll start with you. What what did you see out of the Lions in this game? Well, first off, I'm really happy they're 2-0. <laughs> but, I, again, like I don't know how great the Giants are. I, so I don't really have a great gauge on like how good the Lions are yet because I don't want to get my hopes up too much. But mm-hmm. I thought Stafford looked good. Um, defense looked pretty good. So... You know, I guess we'll see. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you can never really tell with them. Yeah, you know, that that defense did play really good. Uh, you can kind of tell the defense is for real here uh, in Detroit for the Lions. Four stacks and one interception in just the first half. Ziggy Ansah played outstanding. Three stacks and five solo tackles. Also, we figured out that Matthew Stafford is worth the money for sure. Uh, yeah. I think oh, that yeah. I think that was, I mean, we brought that up. We brought that up in, uh, in our first episode of uh, the podcast here. And, and we we're just talking, you know, like, is he going to be worth it? And mm-hmm. I think he's proved himself over the last two games. I mean, beating Arizona and now now beating the Giants. I twelve for seventeen, hundred and seven yards and two touchdowns in the first half alone. And yeah. That that you, what else can you ask for out of a guy? I mean, you can't. Like that that's about as good as you can get. I mean he threw six incompletions all game. So it, For real. Yeah. I mean that that's what else can you ask for? Exactly. You can't do much more. And they still don't have I mean Abdullah did end up getting eighty six yards, but one of those was kinda of off a breakaway run that he had at the end of the game. They essentially still didn't have much of a running game during this game. It's Once again, it's all him. He's, he's yeah. doing it himself, and that's kind of been the thing for them. He used so many different receivers. The fact that Ebron was the leading receiver in this game with five catches and 40 yards and a touchdown, that's saying something. I wouldn't he, bet my money on that. No, exactly. I mean, Galladay <laughs> barely did anything this I know, week. Right? And that's just kind of what it is with the Lions offense ever since Matt or uh, Calvin Johnson left. He's used everybody. He just finds a way to get it to everybody around the field and be able to share the ball, find a bunch of different receivers. Um, so he was able to do that again this week, but... Um, you talking about you don't really know um, if they're going to be that good yet. I think we're going to know next week because they play the Falcons. Yeah, so. yeah for sure. That'll be a great test for them, for sure. <laughs> for sure, and I, and that's probably something that you know will really tell us who they are because the Falcons look great against Green Bay mm-hmm. um, when they played them. I, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers just has like flashbacks when he plays at the Falcons Stadium, <laughs> but he just didn't look comfortable again until like the fourth quarter when the Falcons kind of like died off and let him get back in the game a little bit. It was, it was kind of like probably depressing for their fans because they wanted to see him just blow out Green Bay, but it ended up being mm-hmm. close. Nevertheless, it's a big game. Um, what what have you guys seen out of the Lions' defense so far this year? I think that's something that isn't getting talked about enough. Uh, Lane, I'll start with you. Uh, I, they just look solid to me all around. Like, I just think it's everything Everything Detroit's been wanting, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. I mean, only allowing 270 yards to the Giants as an offense with all the firepower they have, especially having OBJ back. That's huge. Um, mm-hmm. They were they were able to force turnover as well. 
Um, they allowed 14 first downs. The Lions' offensive numbers weren't that great either. They were actually a little bit worse, which is the funny part. <laughs> they were able to get the win by 14 points, but a lot of it, like we said, uh, Jamal Agnew, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, 88 yard touchdown run. That, that was, was big. the most impressive play of the game. I mean, oh, you yeah. go 88 yards, and the way that he shifted around the first defender, and then obviously the last one was a kicker, so he kind of made him look bad. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, either way, 88 yards, get a touchdown on that point in the game. I just didn't expect it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that I noticed, too, I mean, I know you alluded to it uh, a little bit ago, but, I mean, the run game uh, for the Lions, I came across the stat, and I did just fact-check it, and it is true. Uh, the Lions have not had a 100-yard rusher in a game in 54 straight games. Yeah, exactly. 54. The last one was Reggie Bush in 2013 <laughs> when he ran for 117 yards against the Packers on 20 carries. Uh, on Thanksgiving. I'll throw another stat at you that I Uh-oh. have just known just because Uh-oh. it hasn't changed yet. <laughs> Since, if you guys just had to take a guess, I'd like to you guys take a guess. When was the last time the Lions finished in the top half or the top 16 <laughs> of the league in rushing? If you guys had to take a guess. Oh, gosh. Who was the running back? Barry Sanders. You got it. Yeah. That was it. And think about that. Jeez. How far back is that? Like, they have literally not had a running game in years. Like, they just kind of go away from it. I, I even heard a quote. I, f- I forget if it was from Stafford or if it was from Caldwell or one of them, just kind of like, we just use our running game through our passing game, kind of. That was the thing last year when all they do is throw to Theo Riddick, and that was pretty much their running game. They literally have just shied away from it, and everybody's really hoping Abdullah is going to be that guy. He did have a good game last night, so I'm not going to, like, you know, completely dog on him. But there's so many times they still just hand the ball off and run to the middle of nobody. you got to change that. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the defense has definitely played good this year. They look like they have a solid bunch. Slay did shut down OBJ last night. He couldn't do much against them at all. Um, they got Quandre Diggs playing really, really good back there so far this year. He's looked great. Um, and their their defensive lines look stout. No one's been able to rush on them at all. Of course, they well, they did against David Johnson, but they're using him a lot through the air. So Yeah, and, I mean, your, your Barry Sanders comment, I mean, I just double-checked it to make sure, but, I mean, he ended his Lions career in 1998. And just put that in perspective, like, that was the year <laughs> I was born. I was born in 1998. Yeah. Um, so it's just crazy to think that. I, yeah, that's crazy. Top sixteen. That's not even that hard to do. The top sixteen <laughs> in the league. Like you can, you can have a couple breakaway runs in a game and get over a hundred yards a couple times, and you're there. But no, they just haven't done that. Like <laughs> I, I forget who the Kevin Jones. When I was a kid, I remember going to get his autograph as a running back, and that that was like the, like he was like a good running back for them. That guy like never even got over a hundred yards a game. So it's just, it's never really a position they put emphasis on, but. This year, they, they, they're not looking like they're going to be any better with it. But nevertheless, they're just doing their Lions thing and winning games on Matthew right. Stafford's arm. <laughs> That's all that matters. You know, like she said earlier, you know, a win is a win, right? Exactly. Like I said earlier, a win and is a win. Like, like I tweeted last night, you know, this is just like they look like a team that can win games. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to make no predictions right now for about what they're going to do the rest of the season because I still got – I just have to see more. I know it, it's not really fair for me to say that, that I keep expecting more of them, but I just do because – There's too many games in a season for, I mean, I mean at this point now still exactly. left over to make any – and they have good competition. The Vikings have looked good at times this year. Obviously, Sam Bradford was hurt last game, so that kind of took a little bit away from them. But when Sam Bradford's in there, at, in the next next three games, I can tell you right now, Carolina's looked good this year so far, the Falcons and the Vikings. That's that's three games right there that are going to, like, you know, either they're going to start out 2-3 and three or they're going to start out, you know, like 4-1, and one, something like that. And so, break them, I think. Exactly, yeah, and that's kind of sure. what it was like last year when they started out the season, you know, with the Indianapolis win, and you were kind of looking at their schedule, you're like, man, if they can get through these first bunch of games, and of course they let us down again at the end of the season by losing all those games. Really thought they had the division last year, but they didn't. They're definitely a team that looks like they could compete with Green Bay. Just off of right now, do you guys think they actually are a team that could compete for the division title? I'll start with you. Oh, Atlanta. heck yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Why is that? I got a sign last night when... Prater hit that 56-yard field goal, and it bounced uh, and that it was good, good that bounce. it was good. I was like, this is going to be a good year. 
for sure. That's, gonna be sign. That, like, that, that's the kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, that, it was like you just felt it. You just I felt, felt it. I was like, oh, yeah. that's a sign. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, as for me, I think it just really comes down to the next couple of games. I'm not really sold on uh, the Detroit Lions yet because every year I get sold on them way too early and I get way too excited. <laughs> And then my hopes and dreams are crushed. And I, I don't really want that to happen again. So no. I'm just going to kind of hang loose for a little bit here and just, you know, you know, be a Lions fan, support them and all that. But I'm not making any crazy predictions until uh, until they win a few more games. I still get the schedule and it's just daunting. I mean, after their bye week, they come out and they play the Steelers, a team that they never beat. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. they go to Green Bay and play Both those games are 830 primetime. Like, that's not games that they've won in the past. Now, last mm-hmm. time they did, but granted, the the Giants don't look good this year. Their they offense lost. is not good. And I, I expect them to be a better team and look better, and I don't know if it's the Lions being that good or if it's the Giants being that bad. I really can't tell you. Because, I mean, overall, that game still was 17-10 until a punt return touchdown. So it was a pretty even game for a while. The Lions' defense just shut down their offense completely. So um, I think they're a team that could definitely contend for a division this year, though, if they can get by some of these tests because they're going to get tested real quick out here. We're going to know more in the next couple of weeks. But they're definitely a team that could compete with Green Bay by the end of the year. I think they're a better team than the Vikings overall, no doubt. I, I mean, Sam Bradford looked good in week one, but he played against the Saints. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. But we'll see moving forward um, what goes on with them. Um, we're going to stick with Detroit sports here for our final topic of the podcast. Um, Justin Verlander, uh, <laughs> a guy that was pretty close to any Detroit Tigers fan's hearts. I can tell you for a fact he's close to mine. Um, just, you know, growing up and watching baseball, he was the guy that kind of got me into sports. He, he was the one that really... He was the first, like, legend that, I mean, you hope that you still remember him as a Tiger, even after how he ends his career um, with other teams. He was kind of the guy that really, I, I just, like, the first guy I can remember watching growing up that'll go down as a Tigers Hall of Famer. Um, since he's been with, uh, the, since he got traded to the Houston Astros, he's been nothing but dominant. And that, and that's kind of what we were accustomed <laughs> to seeing back in 2006, 2012, 2013. The old days. Yeah, the old days. exactly. When he would just, like, you, gosh, you thought he was done. He thought maybe, you know, he threw his arm out back in 2012, and then he comes out and he pitches a Cy Young season and it gets an MVP. And then in 2013, he leads his team back to the LCS again. That's the kind of stuff that he just did, and he, and he gets better as the season gets later. And he did that last year, and he, he's done it again this year. He started to get better. Even when he was still with the Tigers, he started to pitch a lot better. And now he's just got to be amped up to be playing for a team that's back in the playoff race. I mean, I can't imagine the quick switch. Um, he's So far, he's got a .86 ERA, and he's just been absolutely gunning down everybody he's played against. He's pitched 21 total innings. He got to the eighth inning, which is something he wasn't really doing for Detroit at all earlier in the season. So it just shows that he still has that gas left in his tank. He's the kind of guy that could probably pitch like Kenny Rogers and pitch till he's like 40 years mm-hmm. old and still be effective. So what I really want to get into, though, is... As they're going to the playoffs, they clinched their playoff spot. The Astros did not that long ago. This team is clearly going to compete for a World Series, probably at least get to their divisional series. What do you guys feel about Justin Verlander? Is this the guy that you want to see win? You know, after all his years in Detroit, will it be tough to see him win for another team, or will it be more of a positive feel? Um, Evan, I'll start with you. Yeah, no, I'd be happy for him um, if he goes out there and, and does well. I mean, I just remember all the playoff games that he pitched in for Detroit and just how dominant he was in lockdown because. I mean, no matter how you're doing in the series, you knew that when Verlander was coming out, he was about to bring the heat and he was about to, uh, you know, you know, get you the win. And that mm-hmm. was really cool just to have that feeling and, and to know that. And I really hope that just Astros fans can get that same kind of feel. Um, I, I know it's like never going to be the same as far as you know coming from from a Detroit uh, fan standpoint, but I just hope that that you know people in Houston can really just like feel what we got to feel for so long because it was just. I know I'm kind of getting like sentimental and all <laughs> yeah, that. That's how it is. But it's like, Justin no, Verlander. But yeah, it's Justin Verlander. I mean, <laughs> I mean, going back to what you said, man. Like, I, I was like seven when he made his debut or something yeah. like that, and <laughs> and same same way, dude. Like that. I mean, I, I grew up watching watching Verlander pitch. That was like mm-hmm. the thing, and I just hope that Houston gets gets a feel what we got to feel. For sure. 
Elena? I agree with that. Like, he was, like, the heart and soul of Detroit for a mm-hmm. long time. He's the and, face like, of that Oh, yeah, franchise. for sure. And I'm going to root for the Astros, honestly. Like, he's my guy. I mean, I think he's all of our guys. Like, I don't know. I, I'm rooting for him. For sure. And they, yeah. and they have a young Nucleus team that I really like. I like how they brought their team up. Hoping the Tigers can generate something the same way over the next few years to get them better. But, you know, Verlander's that kind of guy that you just want to see win. I mean, like you said, Evan, when he came into a game in the playoffs, he was the kind of guy you had confidence in to get a win. Um, obviously, he was never able to get the World Series, and he did kind of get, you know, he got, he got raked in the World Series when he went up against the Giants. Pablo Sandoval hit three bombs off of him, and, mm-hmm. you know, those days in 2006, he couldn't get a win. The only pitcher that got a win back in 2006, it's actually funny that I mentioned him already, Kenny Rogers. Um, but... So he's had his struggles when he gets to the playoffs, but not in like the divisional series. I'll never, I'll never forget the night that he pitched against the A's um, in that first divisional series when he shut him down, went all nine innings. They ended up winning the game like eight to zero or something like that. But it was just the fact, the matter that he went that far and like just watching him, you know, start. He's starting to pitch around like ninety nine, hundred miles an hour again when he's back when he's in this Astros uniform. He knows what he wants. I want to see this guy win a World Series. There's absolutely nothing that would you know push me otherwise. He did so much for Detroit and his time there. Um, do you think that they get it done? Do you think that the Astros won the World Series this year? Do you think that they're a team that has enough? Is Verlander enough? The big trade? I, I know that the fans did want him because his original plan was he was going to go to the Cubs um, and pitch for the Cubs because obviously like he, he wanted to when that when that deadline movie, like he said, was on the tough decision of his life. Um, his no trade clause, he was trying to push it as far as possible to be able to go to Chicago because Al Avila's there. So he, mm-hmm. Or Alex Avila, I should say. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have Al Avila. <laughs> but they have Alex Avila, and he wanted to go pitch for him because he's pitched for him for a long time. Ended up going to the Astros, so he's there now. The fans were raving to get him, but the you know the obviously the office was having a tough time. The contract's pretty high. Um, do you guys think they get it done? Was that move enough to be able to get him there? I'll start with you, Elena. Uh, I'd like to say so, but I I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think that I think who's coming out on top this year is the Indians. I just you can't I mean, argue with that win streak. I think I think well the win streak and like. They got a lot to pr- – they, they're probably mad from last year. I mean, come on, 3-1. Mm-hmm. 3-1, then you lose. I mean – The Cubs have been so average this year. You really yeah. don't know if you're going to get out of them in the playoffs. But one thing I will say is teams that win a lot towards the end of the season don't always look as good in the playoffs. So that's true. I, but the Indians, you're right. They're a team that's hungry. They definitely know what they want. They they have a great pitching staff, a, a great lineup. They definitely could get there and win it. Evan, what do you think about Verlander and these Astros? Yeah, you know, I, I think they definitely have a chance. Um, as far as just the playoffs go in general, though, I mean – the Dodgers are in it, and I've always been a, a Dodgers guy. Uh, actually, my eighth grade teacher, her son, made his major league debut uh, for the LA Dodgers. Got his first hit off Tim Lincecum. So I mean, like, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, Nick Buss is the kid's name. Wow. Uh, I don't think I've ever. Yeah, heard. he's with uh, I think he's with the Angels organization. He's kind of bounced around a little bit, up and down from the majors and the minors. But um, no, yeah. So I've always been kind of a Dodgers guy. Um, a little bit, along with being a Tigers guy. So you know, I go one one AL, one NL. So it kind of works. But um. But no, I, I think I think we could see you know Houston and and, and the Dodgers there in, in that game. I'd have to side with the Dodgers as far as uh, <laughs> my heart there. But but no, he definitely has a chance. I mean, Verlander is going to be one of the guys that is going he's going to anchor this Astros team. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. It'll be a really fun postseason. I think they definitely have the pitching staff to be able to get the job done. Will they actually get there? I don't know. It's a lot of young talent going to the playoffs with a lot to prove, and that's a lot to put on your shoulders to start. Um, right now, I. Can't, I can't say that. I think that he does get the job done. I think that they get close, but then next year's a different story. I think when he comes back next year and has a full season with that team and they have playoff experience, I think they're going to be even better. Obviously, we'll talk about this more when we start to get into 
baseball playoffs, we'll talk about what's going to happen more. We'll predict our series and everything else. But for right now, no, I would say that I, I don't think that they're going to have quite enough this year to be able to get it done. But they definitely are a team that could do it because they have so much firepower in that offense um, with all their different hitters in the middle of that lineup. So we'll see what they're able to do. Um, I hope so for Justin Verlander. I'm honestly rooting for the Astros to get the job done because he's just one of my favorite athletes and I want to see it happen. Um, so we'll wrap up the show now with our uh, stud and dud that we do every single week, our best player and worst player of the week. So, Evan, you first. All right, so for my stud, I'm going to go with Clemson. Um, you know, the defense, uh, you know, they, the defense did pretty good. I mean, they allowed 27 points, or excuse me, 21 uh, to Louisville. So I'd say it's pretty good. They held Lamar Jackson to only 17 carries, 64 yards. Um, they had two wins over ranked teams now. I mean, they honestly look like uh, – Honestly, they have the best resume as a three and zero team. I think they look um, great so far. They they look really good. So the defense really lived up to 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 more than the hype that they were given coming into the game, and that's why I got it as my stud. Yeah, I know, and for sure, and a lot. Of, I don't think a lot of people expected um, Clemson to be as good this year, losing Deshaun Watson and losing Mike Williams and all that. They're there. still good though. Uh, exactly, look how good they still yeah. are. And I said that because their defense was going to be so good coming back. A lot of people were questioning why they were ranked there. I said they should have been ranked against Ohio State. And so far, if there's one thing I'm actually right about, it's that because Ohio State lost Oklahoma and got <laughs> killed. So, um, Elena, what's your stud? This is somebody dear to my heart. I hope it is your, to yours too. Uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, um, he's out. He like ages backwards, but um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Throwing three touchdown passes in the first quarter, finishing with 30 for 39, 447 yards, no interceptions, and a win. I mean. That's a Tom Brady line. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, for sure. The guy loses the game. He's not going to have a bad a bad rebound. Exactly. That's just how he is. He's a on my fantasy team, so he's my he's my stud, too, <laughs> I honestly, with you. Too. Yeah. I love they got me over 30 points. But, no, I mean, and a lot of people hated on him after week one is this year. I get so sick of hearing that. Oh, gosh. After, like, the first week. He's going to play Matt forever. Kellerman I swear he's going to play forever. <laughs> he's never going to he retire. He's going to keep being good. And, you know, all the people want to take the credit away from him with all the cheating that he's done, I guess. But, you know, it's 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 more or less annoying to me because especially the Deflategate one, the most recent one, that's the one that's the most annoying just because, like, after they did reinflate the balls after halftime, he still, like, put up, I forget, yeah, I think exactly. it was, like, 35 points in the second <laughs> half or something like that. So it's just ridiculous yeah. to think about. And but. Max Kellerman keeps saying he's going to fall off the cliff. Like, come on. I don't, th- I, I don't no, think I don't, I don't think he's gonna it. yeah I think he's the kind of guy that is gonna retire when he wants to yeah, he's not exactly. gonna like Peyton Manning that like you know just died and got lucky yeah. to win a Super Bowl because mm-hmm. he had the best defense that yeah. I think the NFL has seen in years they literally won a Super Bowl but and he did nothing I mean he threw like two picks in that game and got a lucky <laughs> touchdown so yeah I think he's just gonna go out whenever he wants to go it's gonna be his <laughs> call it's gonna be all right I'm I, I'm done I'm done like I I want to know it's, it, I think I, it's gonna be after a Super Bowl too for oh, sure yeah. I mean I, I, we all want to see him ride out on the horse I'm a Tom Brady yeah. fan so I, I can't say that I don't I want to see him keep playing man he's so he's so talented i I just want to see him i want to see him play forever obviously that won't happen but yeah i think he just goes out whenever he says he goes out and it's up to him 50 year old quarterback right for sure (laughs) and as we talk about athletes that are aging my stud is one that's very young and he does pitch for the detroit tigers i'll give them a little bit of credit for once this season matt boyd um as many of you guys probably saw here in michigan on sunday I, at least for me, I was, you know, just watching my NFL games, you know, watching my fantasy teams, and I didn't really expect anything to come of it. And then all of a sudden I saw that Matt Boyd was throwing a no-hitter into the ninth inning, and I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, this guy, is, he's struggled all year. He's been up and down, and then all of a sudden he's shutting down. I mean, even the White Sox, they still have a lot of young, good hitters in that team. Those are about, you know, even-level talents because Matt Boyd's a guy that spent time in the minors this year. Half those players have been in the minors this year for Chicago. Gave up that double um, right, right out the end of the game, and he wasn't able to complete the no-hitter. It was pretty disappointing, but I just want to make sure that he gets recognized for the effort that he did. That was a great game. Uh, you know, it's something... 
that he can look to for next year to be better because he's going to be a guy that the Tigers are looking to have in the upcoming years as a middling rotation guy, and that, that's the kind of start you can look back at and say, I did that. So that's a good one. Um, for Dud, I'll go reverse. I'll start with you, Elena. My dad is Ezekiel Elliott because <laughs> what did he do? Nothing. He, yeah, that's probably he did the best nothing. Word. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing. It's like Zeke who now. It's like exactly, and he gets the six I mean, game suspension off, and you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, what? Why? You know, what, what's up with the pouty face and the sideline when you're not getting your way? Like, why aren't you trying to be better for your team? Exactly. Obviously, Denver is a tough team to run against, but he was just didn't look like he was giving effort. Um, I saw a lot of things. I, for, I forget who it was that had the core for the game I saw on Bleacher Report, but say he just looked like he gave up on his team. And, that, and that's what it looked like. So I mm-hmm. think it's a good one. Yep. Yeah, that's really upsetting to see. Um, as for me and my dad, uh, just Pac-12 football in general this weekend was was kind of rough. Uh, UCLA lost to Memphis 48-45. USC only beat Texas by three. And Stanford lost to San Diego State 20-17. to I think those are... Games where UCLA should have won, uh, mm-hmm. USC definitely should have won by a couple touchdowns, <laughs> and Stanford shouldn't have lost that game. So Pac-12 football struggled a little bit. Um, we'll see how they bounce back next week, but they're my dud for this week. Typical Pac-12, you know, yeah, they, always, Pac-12. they always have their weeks. They disappoint, <laughs> no doubt, and every conference does, but they did for sure. Um, my dud is obviously it's reverse of Evan Stud. Um, I'm I'm going with Louisville, man. That. That was very depressing for that fan base. I think that they were so excited to finally have a big game like that, have college game day come. Lamar Jackson finally got the hype train to follow him and come there, and he probably played one of his worst games, I think, that he's ever played. That pick six was really when things started to just roll downhill and just didn't work for him anymore. So a uh, tough game for him, and I, I think that Louisville needs to find a way to rebound from it, but it's kind of too late for them that with the way that their schedule goes. When they get a loss, it seems like they never really get the chance to get back in the college football playoff conversation, truly. So they'll definitely have to go undefeated from here, and I don't even know if they can do that. So we'll see what happens with them. That'll wrap it up for us this week. For Elena, for Evan, I'm Andy, and you were listening to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on CMI Sports. Oh